Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Well, let us um, come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Now, how's that, how's that sound? Is it a bit dingy and ringy? Jacob, can you? That's okay. Sounds fantastic. Excellent. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this good day that we share together. Uh, thank you that you're our Heavenly Father and that you care for us. And we thank you that uh, you guide us in life uh, through your word. And we pray that you'd help us to understand it today and have the right spirit and attitude to you and be willing to put it into practice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the truth just rings true, doesn't it? Uh, here's a proverb that you can probably relate to. It says, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. 
Well, one of the things we've probably learnt over the past few years is that we might um, have our own plans that we like to make, but we probably hadn't factored a coronavirus into them. Have you ever noticed that? I'm all for forward planning. I think it's a, it's a good thing. But the, uh, the reality is sometimes we find ourselves having to isolate or finding the people that we work with or depend on isolating around us. I don't know if you've ever found that kind of thing complicated in your life, uh, whether coronavirus has put a wrecking ball through any of your plans. It's been a very frustrating thing for, for a lot of people and, and I've um, found that also. Reality hits us and we just realise that even our, our best laid plans are going to be subject to change. And that's uh, life for us and our planning in a fallen world, isn't it? We just can plan so far, uh, but we're not in control of everything. But God's plans are not like our plans. He's sovereign uh, and he establishes his plans over creation and he establishes his plans for his people. And today in Genesis 12, uh, we're at a very special stage in salvation history where we start to see that God is setting out his plans to bless humanity. And in God's kindness, we also uh, benefit from his plans. We benefit from his plans to bless all kinds of people, people including us. Well, we, as we've made our way through Genesis, uh, we've started to see uh, the spread of sin and God's judgment upon it, haven't we? Yet we've also seen God's continuing commitment to his creation and humanity. In the account of the flood, God who makes a wonderful creation also shows that he does not tolerate sin and he knows how to judge and that he will judge the world. And yet God's justice is also mixed with mercy and kindness towards Noah, his family and other living creatures. In the account of the Tower of Babel, once again, God brings judgment on a people who rebel against him and reject his kingship. As people gather together, they say, uh, let us make a name for ourselves. People weren't interested then in submitting to the kingship of God. They simply wanted to make uh, a name for themselves and be famous. They wanted to think of themselves without reference to God. In fact, they probably wanted to think of themselves as God. But they learn that they are not God, as God scatters them across the face of the earth and also confuses their language. Despite humanity's rebellion, in today's passage we see something once again of God's grace to humanity. For what people want to do in their own strength, God does by his grace. For it's God who goes on to make someone's, names great, someone's name great and through him to bless humanity. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God says to Abraham, I'll make your name great. And so today as we look at Genesis 12, we see the, the movement of events starts to really change. Things start to slow down. We've had the creation of the whole world, haven't we? We've had big events like the flood and the Tower of Babel. And things and time starts to slow down at this point in the book of Genesis. 
and it starts to focus on just one man. And so the whole time slows down and the focus goes from broad to fairly narrow. And uh, here in Genesis 12, we see that God reaches down to humanity to bless. We see his grace as he begins a new approach to blessing people and humanity. So point one in my sermon outline, if you're following along, says that God makes promises to Abraham through whom all kinds of people will be blessed. Now, I'll read the little section there from 12, 1 to 3, if you're following along. The Lord said to Abram, and at this, in this sermon, by the way, I'll just refer to him as Abraham, whom we mainly hear him referred to as through Scripture, but we do know that his name starts off as Abram, and it gets changed. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In many ways, the promises that God makes to Abraham start to actually look back uh, at creation from the beginning. Uh, as we think about the echoes there of Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we read about God's approach to humanity in chapter 1, verse 28. God says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And we see in Genesis chapter 2 that Adam and Eve are placed in a special place, that uh, the garden of the Lord, the garden of Eden. And so the promises that are made to Abraham represent a almost a new type of creation. Uh, the common threads there are a place. Eden was the place uh, at the start. And there are expectations of descendants. The Adam and Eve were to be fruitful, fill the earth and subdue it. But there's also God's blessing too. That's a common thread as well. God blessed them, we're told, in Genesis. And so as God spoke words to bring a whole creation into being. We saw, sadly, that, the, uh, that sin came into the world as well, and yet it's against that backdrop of sin and the attack on God's good order that here in Genesis 12, God speaks words again uh, to create a new people on whom he'll place his blessing. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. So this is a, almost a, a new type of creation. These words from God to Abraham come while he's still in the great city of Ur, of the Chaldeans, which if you know anything about the geography of this, uh, this is actually the, the cradle of civilization, uh, Sumer is what it was known in the ancient world, that sort of area. Uh, in today's terms, it's down the south of what we know as modern-day Iraq. Abraham uh, makes his way to the Promised Land in a, st a two-stage trip. He first heads north with his family uh, to Haran, which is around uh, what we know of southern Turkey or the northern area of Syria. And we pick this, um, this journey up in verse 4 and 5. 
So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, all the possessions they'd accumulated and the people they'd acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. The call for Abraham to leave his native land, his relatives and his father's family is a big deal for Abraham because family is a very important support group. It was in the ancient world and it continues to be today. And Ur of the Chaldeans was at that time a city of note and so it would have probably been difficult for Abraham to have left that situation. Uh, they seemed to worship um, other gods as well and so if he was to stay there and to worship the living and true God, this would have been a, a risky situation also. And yet what we see is that Abraham responds in faith and then God makes significant covenant promises to him that he'll be a great nation, blessed and be a blessing to others. The promises not only look back to the start of creation, they also look forward into the future, don't they? The land was to be given to Abraham because with that many descendants, uh, there needed to be a place for them to be. And this, uh, this, this place has sort of echoes of um, Adam and Eve's situation of uh, a place. They had Eden and Abraham and his descendants would have the promised land. They'd later be known as the Hebrews or the Israelites as we see through the rest of the storyline of the Bible and the expecta expectation uh, from numerous passages in Genesis is that there would be a lot of descendants. Uh, stars in the sky, sand on the seashore, the dust of the earth, there's an expectation that would be uh, a lot of descendants to come. That Abraham and his descendants would enjoy uh, God's blessing, we take it to be, uh, that's an expectation of something very good. God's blessing, it's probably hard to put our finger on it altogether, but it seems to involve uh, God's positive regard towards people, uh, his desire to enjoy fellowship with them and him, them with him, and God's in desire that people enjoy a life abundantly, the very best of life, the good things that life has to offer. And God's blessing is the opposite to God's curse or God's judgment. Abraham would ultimately have descendants who do uh, live in the land in abundance. And if we think about what perhaps was uh, one of the high points in the storyline to come for this type of situation, it'd be hard to go past the time of Solomon, at, the, at least at the start of his reign, where uh, there was the Queen of Sheba comes to visit and see how good things are in the land, uh, living under God's rule. And uh, so there is that time of um, plenty of descendants in the good land, living God's way, under God's blessing. And we also see that at that very high point, there was pride before a fall, sadly. As to the blessings to the nations that are spoken about here, it's not yet clear in Genesis 12 how this would play out. But there is actually a hint that comes to us in chapter 17, verse 6, where God says to Abraham, I'll make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And as we trace forward in the family line of Abraham, just as 
a small stream begins, like the little stream that begins in Mount Seaview up in the hills west of Port Macquarie and grows downstream to become a much larger river, the mighty Hastings River. Well, maybe the Hastings isn't too mighty, but just as a stream begins and then gets bigger, we see in the storyline of the Bible that Jesus is one of the kings that comes from the line of Abraham. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And it's those who come to him find the promise of life and blessing. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. God's blessings ultimately do come to the nations through Abraham's family and God's blessings thankfully come to us through Jesus. The Apostle Paul reminds us that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed or Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise. So whilst Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, starts to talk about some biological descendants and physical descendants, the key descendant of Abraham is Jesus. And it's through faith in Jesus that all nations, all kinds of people can be blessed, including us. Through faith in Jesus, we receive God's blessing, not his curse or his wrath against our sin, which would be awful. And a little later this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and the kids will probably come out for that time too, uh, we celebrate the fact that we're members of God's new covenant and we remember Jesus, the, the key descendant of Abraham, who brings us forgiveness and God's blessing. Because he died for our sins as a sin-bearing sacrifice, and he rose for our salvation. Now, after Abraham makes his way to the Promised Land, we see that uh, he begins well. In fact, we see that Abraham uh, steps out in faith. I'll pick this up in chapter 12, verse 4 to 9. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land, which is a, a foreboding sort of a sign that his descendants are going to have to deal with them. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I'll give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord, then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev, uh, or the Negev, or Negev, B and V's are similar in Hebrew. Uh, and thank you, Julia. Yes, we remember Ian Smith uh, teaching about this uh, on church camp all the way to the Negev. And David had a bit of a smile when this was read also. Uh, this is Abraham scoping out the whole land that God's giving to him. Uh, the Negev was a, the wilderness area. It's a bit drier but it could still grow um, plants and things for livestock. So what's Abraham's response to God's promises like? Well, in verses 6 to 9, it's somewhat positive. Uh, he makes his way throughout the land, and wherever he travels, he sets up a, an altar to the Lord. It's like a, a monument to God. He's grateful to God. He doesn't use any of the other uh, Canaanites' Uh, monuments and things like that. He, he actually creates something that he's grateful to God for. And the writer to the Hebrews actually tells us a bit about Abraham's experience also. In chapter 11, we read, By faith, 
Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to, a, to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Abraham comes up at this point as someone who we can uh, take some inspiration from, some encouragement from, as he uh, trusts in God. Despite the fact that he doesn't really settle in the promised land uh, and he lives in tents, we learn that he's a, a good example of faith as he looks forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. There's a, a sense in which there's something, uh, a, a greater expectation to come of settling in that land and, and what it holds for the descendants. And to some extent we share Abraham's uh, experience of looking forward too in, in terms of salvation history as well, don't we? Uh, we know that as the people of God, we still live this side of the, the consummated kingdom to come. Uh, this is the age that's still filled with uh, good things, but also many difficulties and complexities, sin and also sorrows. That's just the character of this age. And so in this current age that we live, uh, the Apostle Paul describes our, our journey now as a, a time when we walk by faith and not by sight. We are anticipating uh, the kingdom to come. Paul talks about how it would be better to be with the Lord in glory. But uh, as we currently live, we just live, uh, as it says, by faith and not by sight. We live by trusting God. Just as Abraham stepped out in faith, we too uh, live in this age. With our own struggles and challenges, we walk uh, by faith and not by sight and we encourage each other to do that and to persevere and make it to the end of the race that's the challenge for us to keep walking with the Lord to the end of the race not to be those who fall short now concerning Abraham the uh, father of faith we also glimpse in chapter 12 another side of reality for we come to also learn that Abraham has feet of clay for in chapter 12 verse 10 to 20, we see that fear gets the better of Abraham. In verse 10, we learn that things get tough in the promised land. He's been given these promises, he ends up there, but the promised land has just become famine land. And Abraham finds life so hard that he heads down to Egypt for food. Will he trust God with these promises? Will he trust that God will keep his promise of the land for him, descendants and blessing. Well, we heard the passage read earlier, didn't we? Uh, thank you, Janelle. Uh, and we know, don't we, that uh, Abraham does let fear get the better of him. In verse 11, we read, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Well, the risk here uh, is that Sarai, Sarai stands to become part of 
Pharaoh's harem and pregnant to him. And if that were to happen, she would be uh, lost to Abraham and what would become of the promise of descendants then? She wouldn't be the one providing offspring for Abraham. And so in this way, the descendants would be at risk. And at this point in the story, it doesn't seem that Abraham's altogether confident in the promises of God. He's more driven by fear. He's frightened in this situation that he's found himself. He's, he's really under the belief and under the assumption that his life is at risk. And so he puts his wife at risk and the promises of God as well. It's quite a, a tense moment in the story. And yet uh, God comes to the rescue in verse 17. God brings good out of a, a complicated and horrible situation. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and on his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Scram. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So through the sovereign kindness and goodness of God, uh, despite, his, despite himself, despite his lack of courage, Abraham dodges a spear of sorts. Now, fear can be a powerful motivator, can't it? At times, it can seem easier to try and uh, keep people happy, keep the peace, uh, and have peace at all costs, some might say. But the problem is trying to keep everybody happy can lead to other problems as well. I'm sure Sarai found that situation rather unsatisfactory as Abraham was trying to please Pharaoh and himself. Unsatisfactory for Sarai to say the least. Now as we face our fears and as we face uh, life situations where we're discouraged as well, Jesus encourages us to think about our worries and our life more broadly. And he challenges us with a different principle to live by, not the principle to live by just fear of people, but the, the principle of fearing God and serving God first. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, verse 2 to 5, a section that deals with worry and the possibility that the disciples would have to be brought before synagogues and councils and other authorities, a sort of terrifying situation, Jesus encourages them and he encourages us too. He encourages us to keep our our lives and death in its proper perspective. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. And Jesus' message is clear that this is uh, God's universe, the eternal Lord who we're going to meet one way or another. The Lord is the judge and he's the one we're ultimately answerable to. And so the challenge for us is to live in response to that reality, 
to live in response to God's grace and kindness who offers us salvation in the gospel, that salvation from sins found in Jesus, that God, God gives us that gift. And God gives us um, an expectation and a hope in eternity where when we face him as judge, we don't, we don't need to worry. Even if we um, get killed, that's not something obviously any of us look forward to. But even in the face of that, uh, that great tragedy, we still know that we go to be uh, with the Lord who cares for us. And so may God help us to be people who continue to trust him and, and seek to serve him and please him first, not, not simply seek to live our lives in fear of people and seek to please people. We know that God cares for us and he can also bring good out of complicated situations as well. Well, we may make our plans, uh, but the Lord determines our steps. Our plans don't always work out the way that we'd like them to work out, do they? Uh, especially when it comes to things like coronavirus. But we serve a Lord, the Lord Almighty, who establishes his plans. He establishes his plans to bless humanity. And his plans aren't like ours. They actually work out according to his will. Today in Genesis chapter 12, we've seen a very special stage in salvation history, haven't we? Where God shows us his plans to bless humanity. And according to God's will, it comes through one man, Abraham, and through his family. For out of Abraham's family comes a key descendant, uh, Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. He's the one who deals with sin he deals with our sin and reconciles people from all kinds of nations all kinds of backgrounds to god and we enjoy his blessings and forgiveness we enjoy life in his kingdom and we've seen it many times at times abraham was a a good example uh, of someone who lived by faith and in to that extent that he was a good example we we follow him too as we we live in this um, fallen world by faith and not by sight as we anticipate God's kingdom to come. And we finally see also Abraham and his, um, his very humanness as well. We can take something from that as well. We can be challenged that when uh, we see him bump up against the temptation of fear in his uh, life journey, uh, we're challenged by his lack of courage, aren't we? We're challenged to let a different kind of fear guide our lives. Not the fear just of people, but the, the fear of the Lord, which is the key one. So instead, let us um, approach life with, uh, with that way, the, the fear of the Lord, uh, in the knowledge that God cares for us. He can be trusted to bring good out of bad, and uh, we can trust the Lord to help us persevere as his people. Let's come before the Lord in a word of prayer now. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that uh, your plans don't fail, that you've established your plans a long way back in the past here with uh, Abraham. And we give you thanks that um, the, the fruit of your plans is something that we benefit from, that out of his family uh, comes a key descendant, Jesus our Lord and Saviour, who um, bears our sin and brings us uh, the blessings of forgiveness and life with you. Lord, we give you thanks that uh, through trust in him, we become Abraham's spiritual descendants too. 
Lord, we uh, give you thanks that we can see from the example of Abraham, uh, someone who stepped out in faith. And Lord, we pray that as we persevere as your people in this age and are patient until your, your kingdom comes, we pray that you'd help us to live uh, by faith and not by sight. And Lord, um, we also just pray that um, as we uh, face different complicated situations and we're, we're given to fear, help us to be mindful that um, it's more important uh, to fear you and to be keen to please you and, and not people. Lord, give us the courage to um, make our life choices based on our, our service of you and we pray that you'd help us to do that this week. Lord, we give you thanks for this time when we can hear from your word and have it applied to our lives and we pray that you'd help us to respond in faith. And uh, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.